I am so excited today. I didn't need the worship team. I didn't need to play off of David up here singing. I, David, I came pumped up, but now I'm so pumped up I can hardly contain myself. So you guys better get ready, all right? Second Kings chapter 13. Second Kings chapter 13. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever committed the sin of settling for less? The sin of settling for less. How many of you know in marriage ministry, my dad used to always teach this to the men, you got to know which hill to die on. In other words, every hill is not worth a fight, all right? Every situation in life is not worth turning it into uh, where you have to win or that type of thing. You have to be wise. But how many of you know there are many things in life that you need to make sure you don't settle for less than what God has for you? I mean, you know, God's trying to put fight back into the church, the church today is not known for its courageous fighting. We're not known for brave leadership and courageous cultures. I preached on that last week. But we should be known for brave leaders and courageous cultures. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, we should be people who fight for what matters. And I want you to look at an amazing passage here, beginning in 2 Kings 13. We're going to start in verse 14. It says, when Elisha was in his last illness, the illness that would take his life, King Jehoash, some translations say Joash, it's the same person. King Jehoash of Israel visited him, and he wept over him. Now, I want you to see here, this is Elisha's farewell, all right? He, he's this far from getting his promotion papers. He's, a, he's an old man. Some commentators estimate that he was in his 90s. How many of you know he's a national treasure, this is a man that, that led Israel through the good times and bad times, mostly bad times. And I encourage you last week, if some of you are sitting out here and you're going through difficult times and you feel like, you know, man, God's punishing me for my disobedience. God's doing this. God's doing that. Listen to me. God's not ever doing that to your life. God's not up here waiting to whack you when you fail him or you fall or you're selfish or whatever. I, I mean, any selfish people in this room? Okay, the rest of you are liars, but everybody should have your hands up. God is for you and not against you. And on your worst day, God is still cheering you on, and he's waiting for you just to turn a slight bit to his heart and to his goodness so that he can help you. Somebody needs to hear this today. God's not punishing you. He's not against you. The cross forever took care of that. And what I'm amazed at in the scriptures is you can have wicked, selfish, godless, perverted kings leading God's people, and instead of giving them what they deserve, God's waiting to show them mercy over and over and over again. It's amazing to me, the kindness and the goodness of God. When we sing that the goodness of God is pursuing you all the days of your life, that is a secret truth. If you can get that in your spirit, it will be a key to unlocking the blessing of God over your life. The devil likes to slander God. And so here we have a very young king, a very selfish king, a king who's following in the footsteps of a father who was a wicked king. And he's coming to this man of God, and when he sees him, I want you to notice what he calls him. Father, Father, and he begins to weep. Young man, weeping over a senior father in the faith. And I want to say this, this man he's weeping over is the national treasure of Israel. Can I just tell you something? The greatest riches a nation could have 
are spiritual mothers and fathers who walk with God and release the goodness and blessing of God everywhere they go. When a nation does not have godly people, when a nation does not move in righteousness, that nation is vulnerable. Can I just tell you, America is vulnerable right now. We're more vulnerable than we know. And you know what the greatest weapon in America is? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's righteous people. It's people who honor God. Listen, it's not people who go to church. It's people who walk with God. It's people who know God. And can I just tell you something? This young, young ruler who realizes he's over his head and who realizes he's not walking in confidence and righteousness, he knows his life is full of compromise. He looks at this man of God on his deathbed and he begins to weep. And I want you to see what he says. He calls him something. He says, my father, my father, I see in this man, embodied in this man, this prophet, I see the chariots and the charioters of Israel. In other words, this man was not just a national treasure. He was the national defense of Israel. How many of you know one man or woman who walks with God in an intimate way, is dangerous to the devil, and that's a person you want to glean from and you want to have around you. The greatest riches of any church is the spiritual mothers and fathers in the house. When you look around and you see some gray hair, and you look around and you see some folks walking with a limp, and you see some folks with some scars, and you see some people that have been walking and following God for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, I'm telling you, you're seeing pure gold. And I want to give you another secret if you're new here. This place is full of gold. And you know what you do when you're surrounded with gold? You make sure you get as much as you can. We had a incredibly godly woman that was part of the foundation of this church, oversaw our women's ministry. Godly woman, carried so much wisdom. The, the young mothers gleaned from her. She was, a, she was a gold mine because she had walked through some things and she was able to impart that wisdom to the younger generation. I mean, you know, that's a biblical pattern. And we got word that while she was away visiting uh, grandkids, she had a heart attack and she unexpectedly died. When I announced it, to some of our leaders that morning, I will never, ever forget the response of one of our emerging leaders in the house. When I shared that this woman had passed, she said, no, no, no. She began weeping, and this is what she said next. I had so much I still needed to learn from her. It, I stood there stunned. I will never, ever forget that moment. It is crystallized in my heart because she understood that the opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And there are people around you right now that carry wisdom and anointing and walk with God and have stuff to share and stuff to impart. And you know what it's the responsibility of you and I to do? Get as much of it as we can. And to, listen, to honor them by our pursuit of them because the greatest thing you have in your life, I don't care how much money you have, houses you have, cars you drive, the greatest thing you have in your life are spiritual mothers and fathers who have been through the low times and have been through the high times and God's been the one that's held it all together and God's been the one to write their story and you should have a sense that you know what I do not want these people to die and go get their reward without me getting my reward from being around their lives spiritual mothers and fathers are what we're after and this church is full of them 
Now, David, I just preached it. I'm going, I'm trying to keep. <laughs> Look at what it says next in verse 15. Elisha told him, go and get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. And Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. David, I'm going to use you this morning. You already preached, I preached and prophesied and sang, but I need you up here. You're going to be God right now. Can you give God a hand as he comes up here? <laughs> now, I'm picking. Now, we didn't plan this, so just go with the flow here. Get up here, Superman. All right. He's even got the, that's S stands for God Almighty, all right? Sovereign, supernatural, all right? All right, so here's the picture. You be the prophet, okay. I'll be the king. Okay. So the prophet asks, or comes alongside, gets out of his bed, I'm assuming, goes to the window, and the king grabs the bow and grabs the arrow, and the prophet puts his hand, get over here. I, now, I chose you because you're bigger than me, all right? So don't hurt me. All right, so you put your hand on my hand on the bow, and you put your other hand on my hand right here. We're not going to dance. All right. Now look. Now look. This is the prophet. I'm the young king. You got to work with me. All right. This is a picture of how we're to go through our lives. How many of you want the endorsement of heaven on your life? How many of you know you got to hold the bow? You got to hold the arrow. You got to pull it back. But how many of you know you need God Almighty enveloping you? That's why you're here too, because you're enveloping me. And how many of you... You want to go through life, you want to stay little, and you want God to be really big, all right? Come on, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And listen, now when I am enveloped with prophetic anointing and power, when I am enveloped with a presence and power bigger than me, I can stand before Goliath and say, you know what you're messing with? All right? Who are you talking to? You, you see this? Woo, I, got a, I got a sling over here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We, we move. We move in God. We move in the presence of God. We move in the supernatural plan of God. You're doing a great job, by the way. We, we flow. And listen, when you got God backing you, helping you, guiding you, you're going to win in life. All right? Come on, man. <laughs> I want the blessing of God. I want the favor of God. I want the Lord teaching my hands, notices, to war. God's trying to teach the church to fight. God's trying to teach the church to push back. You know, we have a church that has become sissified. We have a church that believes that rolling over is what Jesus would do. A church that believes that not taking on the devil straight on is what Jesus would do. What was the cross all about? What was Jesus' life all about? He encountered wickedness. He encountered darkness. Jesus was never easy on the demonic. They freaked out in his presence. Why have we got the idea that in America, for some reason, there are not things worth fighting for? There's not truth worth dying for. 
Why do we think the job of the church is to just wear smiley face buttons and just wave at people like that's going to change our culture? Get engaged in the battle. There are things you cannot settle for. And to suggest that rolling over is somehow Jesus-like is not the gospel. The prophet said, get a bow and put it in your hand. And I want you to see what happened next. He goes to verse 17. He says, then he commanded, open that eastern window. The king opens it. And then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. And this is what Elisha proclaimed. This is the Lord's arrow. And I want you to notice the Lord's arrow is an arrow of victory. Can I just tell you the only arrows God knows how to shoot are victorious arrows. When God is shooting at something, he hits his target. When God is shooting his word or his purposes or his plan, he always wins. That's God. God is a winner. This is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Now, I want you to notice something. In that culture, when an approaching army or a king or somebody in authority took out a bow and arrow and shot the arrow into the enemy's camp, it was a declaration of war. God is picking a fight with the enemy. And what they're saying was, watch this arrow. It lands in the enemy's land. What they're saying is that's going to be ours. We are taking over. Consider that as an invitation to get your tail whipped because we just shot an arrow and we just picked a fight with you. There are fights that need to be picked even in this hour today. We are not a church that shrinks back. We're a church that takes land back. We have so much to take back in this country. And in fact, we have a planet that the Lord said, occupy till I come. We have a planet that's waiting to see the glory of the Lord. Every square inch of planet Earth belongs to the Lord. He's looking for a church that will shoot some arrows. Not hide, not quit, not stay home, not give up. A church that moves forward. That's why I'm just telling you, this little deal right here, this little deal right here is, an, is a declaration of war because what we're saying is in this day and hour, you're not going to silence Christ's church. We're moving forward. We're not shrinking back. We're not giving up. We're not quitting. We're going to take land. We're going to take ground. We're going to move forward in faith. And we're believing God's going to fill every square inch of what we build for his glory because we're shooting arrows, all right? And they're arrows of victory. God has put the, this is what God did with the king. See your enemies out there? We just picked a fight. What? How many know you better be ready to fight because God just picked a fight for you? God is still defending Israel even when they're undefensible in in the eyes of the world because of their sin. So by this prophetic action, Elisha is saying to him, the battle is not yours, but the battle is the Lord's. And I want you to notice this. There's the interplay here between the sovereign and the human elements. It's the Lord's arrow, but he says, you will completely conquer them, all right? How many of you believe in the sovereignty of God? Man, I do. I love the sovereignty of God. I love a God that's big and in charge. I don't want a sissy God, a God that's going, I really wish I could have done something. No, that's not God. God is in charge, and I love that about him. But here's where we get into problem. 
The fact that God is in charge should never cause you or me to be passive about anything. People have this fatalistic view. In fact, people who believe in the sovereignty of God, they tell jokes like this. You know, the Presbyterian that, that fell down the steps and he got up and dusted himself off and said, man, I'm sure glad I got that over with. Uh, because uh, he believed, you know, in the providence of God. That this has, it had to happen someday, so I'm glad I got that over with. That's not what sovereignty means. That's not what the providence of God means. You and I have a responsibility to partner with God to accomplish his agenda on the earth. What is not in question is the agenda of God. The agenda of God will win. God will be victorious. That is as good as done. What is in question is, will you join him? Will you pick up the bow? Will you, will you let God surround you? Will you let him flow through you? Will you be engaged? Or will you just allow other people to be able to enjoy the blessing? There's the sovereign element. There's the human element. How many of you know God supplies the wind, but you're not going anywhere if you don't put the sails up? you got to put the sails up, or you're going to sit there even in a windstorm. But here's the beauty of, of, of our ability to partner with God. When you and I open our lives to the Lord and we put the sails out, the wind of heaven begins to blow and we find ourselves carried along in divine providence by the power of God and the purposes of God and we see God do amazing things through our lives. So this is what we're seeing happen, this combination of the sovereign decree and declaration of God's heart and the partnership on the human side. And I want you to see something that's really cool about arrows. You know, nobody in the Bible is ever sword fighting with an arrow, right? Nobody in the Bible uses an arrow like as an axe or anything like that. The only way arrows work is when you pull them back and you release them. It has to, hear this. It has to leave your hands. Can I just tell you, most of our greatest moments in Christ happen when we take what we ever had in our hands and we release it in faith to God's purposes. If you still got it, it's not going to serve God's purpose. But when you release it, now you allow God to take take over. You allow God to direct where that thing's going. It's got to get out of your hands. I love what Dr. Brent and Beth said. Last time they were approaching this campaign, they prayed. God put a crazy number in their minds. Someone was telling me the other day, they said, you know, Pastor, I'm kind of new on this Holy Spirit stuff. Can you help me out? I said, sure. He goes, I'm not, I've never really prayed and asked the Lord to speak to me. I said, let me tell you how it works. The devil will never tell you to give a generous donation to expand the church. The devil will tell you this, all Pastor Ron cares about is money. All churches care about is money. In fact, if you've ever said that, be aware of what spirit is speaking through you. Now let me get to where it gets a little tougher. The voice you hear next will be your own. You know how you know it's your own? It's cheap. You're all laughing. You know what I'm talking. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And then the third voice you hear, you accuse the devil because it scares you. It's a voice that's so big that you know that can't happen. God's voice is supernatural. God's math is supernatural. 
God's dream is bigger than yours. What he's looking for is partnership. He says, pick up the bow and pull it back and release it. When you release it, that's when you see God begin to do what only God can do. When Brent and Beth released and agreed, agreement is releasing the arrow. Yes, Lord. In fact, writing the first check is releasing the arrow. That's when God provided, are you ready for this? God provided another opportunity in addition to what he does for a living that exactly was the amount that God gave them, but that wasn't there until they shot the arrow. Now listen, if you shot the arrow and that happened, what would be going on in your heart right now? You're like, yes, this is awesome. God is so real. Oh, my word. You'd be telling 100 people. And you know what? You'd, you know what would happen on Sunday morning during worship? You're like, whoa, whoa. You'd be one of those people you dreamed you'd never become. That's what, you, that's what you'd be. You know why? Because listen, because listen, because you just saw the supernatural hand of God speaking to you and then guiding you and then blessing you. And you're used, you're a partner with what God's doing. There's nothing greater on the earth than that. Now that happens not just with finances, it happens with sharing Christ with other people. It happens with, with a myriad of other situations in life when if, when if you'll pray and listen to God and then shoot the arrow, you'll see God move and you'll be the one who's blessed, all right? Let's take a look at what happened though next. Look at verse 18. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows, and strike them against the ground. That strike them against the ground, it, it almost conveys the idea that, you, that he picked up the arrows and he squatted down and he, and, he, and he started hitting the ground with them. But other translations, other commentators say what that meant was, remember, they're up in a window. They just, they just shot the arrow out. What he meant was take the other arrows in your quiver and strike the ground. Shoot them into the ground. Right in front of you, right? So the Bible says, what did he do? He takes three arrows... And he shoots three arrows, strikes the ground with three arrows. And we don't know all that was happening there because we just have the condensed version. But look at verse 19. The man of God was angry with him. Here's this old prophet who's walked with God all these years. He instructs him, strike the ground with the arrows. He shoots three arrows into the ground, and the man of God is furious. What are you doing? He's, I mean, he is so angry with him. Why is he angry? What's going on here? What's, what's happening behind the scenes? Strike the ground. It's like a, an open-ended command. Like, what did I do wrong? He goes on and he says, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed, but now you're only going to be victorious three times. What's crazy to me, we don't know what's going on in this king's heart, but if it's like people today, you know, people today get really cynical about prophetic things like that. Like, strike the ground. Who is this crazy old man who strike the ground? All right. I mean, he could have been like, whatever. No passion, no zeal, no earnestness. I don't know what's going on. But obviously there was something not happening in that king's heart that angered the prophet. Because here's what I want you to see. The entire future of Israel was placed in the hands of of this young king. 
This young king's response to the word from the prophet determined the outcome of the nation. And this is what he said, because you have it valued, because you don't want it bad enough, because basically you quit, you're going to get three victories and you're going to spend the rest of your days and all you people are going to spend the rest of your days fighting an endless number of battles that could have been over if your heart and your response to God would have been different. I just want to ask you, what are the scenarios in your life? Because how many of you figured out your life matters, your choices matter, your commitment to God matters, your shooting the arrows matters? See, here's the point. How many arrows are a quiver full? We talk about blessed is the man whose quiver is full, right? The point wasn't some magical formula, like if you strike the ground five times instead of three, then you win the prize. No, that wasn't it. The point was take out every arrow you have and shoot them all in the ground because you want to make sure you fire all your arrows before you die. You don't want to go to the grave with arrows left in your quiver. How many people play it safe? How many people quit? How many people stop before God's purposes are accomplished in their lives? We're to shoot, we're to strike, and we're not ever to stop until our quiver is empty. I'm asking you this morning, is that your approach to your Christian faith? Are you living life where you're shooting arrows like there's no tomorrow, or are you playing it safe? Keeping some arrows for a rainy day. How many of you ever enjoyed the Lord of the Rings uh, series, the trilogy? Man, I, I love that. And how many of you like the uh, Legolas, the, the elf, right? You like El Legolas? I did too. In fact, he, he had that long blonde hair, you remember? That's going to be me in the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> me walking around in some, some cool robe, long blonde hair. All right. <laughs> now that's funny. I, I can just picture the Lord saying, yes, I heard your prayer. And I look in the mirror, what? This is, this is what I look like for eternity? All right, anyway. What happens in Lord of the Rings? Every time that dude's in a fight, man, orcs everywhere, all this nasty demonic creature. And they show this slow motion scene, you know, that arrow going like three football fields and hitting an orc right between the eye. You're like, yeah! All right, but here's what I kept watching. How many arrows does that dude have in, it, in his quiver? They kept reappearing. No matter how many he shot, killing orcs everywhere. They just kept appearing. Can I give you a secret here? That is such a picture of how we're to live our lives. So we play it safe. I, if I shoot this arrow, I've only got seven left. No, you keep shooting the arrows. You shoot them in faith. You shoot them into the enemy. I'm talking about demonic enemies, obviously. You shoot them into the enemy, and guess what? When you pulled your last arrow and you look back, they're magically replenished because this is the way the kingdom of God operates. You never, you know, if you say, Lord, but uh, this happened in our family many, many times. You're saving up this little wad for something over here that you need, and then the Lord touches your heart to give all that money away, and you're like, Lord, that was the dishwasher. <laughs> and what does he say? I got more dishwashers where that came from. That's right. And you begin to move in a spirit of faith, and you find, listen, 
you find that when you move in faith and you don't play it safe and you keep shooting those arrows for the glory of God, that God multiplies your uh, resources. He always has enough. As I said, many times it's not that we fail, it's that we quit. And here's the question I want you to think about with me this morning. How much blessing is God trying to release into this world through us, but he simply can't because it's been blocked either by our lack of passion or our lack of desire? See, I think this king was kind of maybe doing an eye roll with the prophet, like seriously, what, like shoot the arrows in the ground, like what's this all about? This was not a godly person. This person had no value for the word of the Lord, for the prophetic or anything else. Who knows what he was thinking in his heart? But the point is, he just simply had no passion or desire. If you had, I'm asking you a question, if you had a chance to destroy all of your enemies, everything that was working against you, I mean, let's pretend it's wartime. Let's pretend like our nation's under siege. Let's pretend like we're, you know, we're, we're, we're getting attacked. If you had an opportunity to end the war or to fight endless battles, what would you choose? Let's end the war. And you know what? If you had to do a courageous act to end the war, I would hope that you would put all of your passion, all of your energy, all your desire into doing whatever it took to end the war. But how many times we... You know, we pray, but if we just would have fought a little harder, if we just would have been engaged a little more, if we just wouldn't have quit, we quit so soon. Or how about, you know, please hear our heart on this. God's saying, hey, give this. And you're like, are you crazy, God? That can't be you. And you settle for what's predictable or what's easy. And the Lord's going, oh, you know, Kevin, I, I wanted to father you. I wanted to, I wanted to show you. What an incredible dad I am. But you didn't believe me. You quit. You didn't listen to me. Why didn't you shoot the arrow? Why didn't you, do, why didn't you trust me with your finances? I'm trying to show you what a great dad I am. Why did you do that? Why did you not believe me? Why, how about this one? Why did you expect so little of me? I'm God. How I many of you know none of us will stand before the Lord someday and he's going to go, oh, you know, Chris, I just wish you wouldn't have had so much faith. You're constantly provoking me, constantly making me nervous with your faith. You know, no, trust me. Is God, is God going to say that to anybody? But how many of you are like, man, I, living stones, I wanted to do so much. Why did you expect so little? Don't you know who you're partnering with? Don't you know? Don't you know in an earth that's so full of God less people and God hating people and God belittling people and God mocking people? I was waiting to look for a group of people who would expect me to show off. A group of people that would say, "Hey, why can't God do this? Hey, let's let's die trying." Let's make a name for the glory of the Lord in our generation. Let's go shoot some arrows. Let's go taunt some Philistines. Let's go kill some giants. Let's go do something. But let's expect God to show up. Why do we do so little? Or how about this one? This one gets me. Why did we do the least of what was required? 
Just get by. I'm going to mess with some teenagers now. The worst question I ever got asked in 12 years of youth ministry. Pastor, how close can I get to the line like of sin to where I still go to heaven, but I can still live in as much sin as possible? Like, how much of my life can I still keep, and how much do I have to give to God to where he still, like, lets me in so I don't have to spend eternity in hell? In other words, what's the least amount that I need, God? What a sick question. And yet we've all been there. We're not just trying to be like D-minus students and slide past and past the course. How many of you know the Lord's calling us to like excellence? And, and he's with us to make sure that it's the arrow of victory that's being shot. So why don't we, why don't we raise the bar? Why, why don't we believe that God's waiting for opportunities to demonstrate his greatness in our lives and in our generation? Again, it's stunning to me to see that God pushed, put the whole future of Israel in the hands of King Jehoash. God wanted to give him a complete and total victory over all of his enemies. And instead, he settled for a life of endless battles. God's vision, big vision, total victory. His vision, survival. I just, I just want to tell you, if you're going to be here, we're not surviving. We're thriving, right? We're not hanging out. We're moving forward. The default is move forward. The default is take ground. Guess what? We're going to shoot lots of arrows. We're just going to keep shooting them. You all with me on that? Because we have an endless supply of arrows, all right? We're going to live on the bold side. Listen to this great quote from A.W. Pink. Most Christians expect little from God. They ask little, and therefore they receive little. And they're content with little. They're content with little faith. Little knowledge of the deep things of God, little growth and fruitfulness in the spiritual life, little joy, peace, little assurance, and the zealous servant of God is justified in being wroth or angry in their lack of spiritual ambition. Let me ask you this, are you, are you, have you settled? Are you content? Is this all that God has to do in your life? Is this all that God has to offer? Where's your passion for the things of the Lord? Where's your vision for victory? Or do you have a vision for victory? Have you just quit? Have you given up? Just throw in the towel. We all settle somewhere, but the question is where? And we need to, we need to examine our hearts this morning. I think we continually underestimate what God wants to do through us, how much God wants to do through us. I think we need to re-examine that. Let me get to the last point here. Look at verse 20. One of the greatest figures in the entire Old Testament, Elisha. This is his summary of his life. Elisha died and was buried. Sometimes a brevity of words makes them all the more powerful. How many of you know we all have a, a little window to live? We have a window of opportunity to seize the moment of the opportunity, right? 
Here's what grieves me. This king had a national treasure at his fingertips who gave him a promise of victory. And the king, when you hear this, the king missed the opportunity. Elisha died. His influence, done. His counsel, gone. His walk with God, no more for planet Earth. His wisdom, his knowledge of the holy, his experience of the power of God, his prophetic words to deliver the nation, a national treasure, gone. I just wonder in our lives, how many times there's opportunity in front of us. God's wanting to release something good through us. We're oblivious to the greatness of the moment, to the greatness of our God. And an opportunity just comes and goes. I don't know about you, I don't want to miss opportunities. I want to be keenly aware of what's going on around me because the opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And when it comes to human beings, we're only on planet Earth for so long. Can I just tell you, I think the reason the devil hates disunity so much, or hates unity so much, strives for disunity, is because the only thing we have while we're here is the relationships and the equity in our friendships and the equity of the body. I don't know about you. I am so grateful for the body of Christ. Yes. Amen. Man, I love you guys. Amen. I'm for you. Yes. Just so you know, you never have to wonder, what if Pastor Brown's mad at me? I will tell you if I am, all right? I never preach unless I have anything but love in my heart for you. So I'm crazy about every one of you. Some I know better, so I'm more crazy about. Some I'm getting to know you better, I'll be more crazy about. But I love every one of you, all right? But you're the treasure. Our relationships are the treasure. That's why you got to guard the relationships. And you got to make sure you don't listen to the devil. And you got to make sure we're moving forward together and not, you know when churches get nasty with each other? When they're bored when they're counting their arrows and they've lost sight of the battle. Elisha is dead and he is buried and he is gone. We are in an opportunity right now. I believe it's a mega opportunity. I believe God's pushed us in a corner and we're all squeezing in like this going, hey, so what do you think God wants to do next? How about knock some walls down so we can move for God's sake? Are you with me? doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the moment that we're in right now. But, I, but here's the point. I'm asking, what is your moment and what is God wanting to do in you? And where are you settling and where do you need to pick up your bow and arrow and fight? Because hear me, the choices you're making now will echo through your family line, through your kids, through our community, and don't think that it won't. We're standing on an incredible opportunity. We want to make sure that we grab it. Amen. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you this morning. I want you to do something crazy and living stones like and prophetic. I want everybody to grab your bow. I want you to lift it over your head. And I want you to reach up and I want you to grab the bow string and put that arrow in it. And I want you to pull that, pull that arrow back. 
And I want you to think about what are the battles God's asking you to fight. Some of you need to fight some personal battles over sin, over compromise. Some of you need to fight relational battles. Some of you need to get in the game. You need to go after souls again. You need to be a part of, of the solution, bringing life and healing and the goodness of God to a nation that is dark right now. But I'll tell you what, we got our arrows and we're pulling them back. And I want you to think about again where you're tempted to settle because that's the area where God wants you to fight. And we're going to release those arrows in faith right now. My wife told me today she was like Legolas. She said, man, I shot so many arrows in the sky. I'm like, you keep shooting, baby. Come on, keep shooting. Because there's lots of issues that matter. And so whether it's an intercessory prayer, whether it's in your giving, whether it's in your loving, whether it's in your sharing, you're going, you're building, whatever it is, but we're going to fire some arrows into the enemy's camp. Father, right now this morning, we stand to our feet, we look out that window, Lord, we're launching arrows into the enemy's territory, and we thank you for expansion and growth and for blessing and for the anointing of God to fall on this place in even greater measure. Father, we're hungry for more. We don't want to settle for anything less than all that you have for us. So God, awaken the slumbering spirits today. Awaken the hearts that have stopped beating today. God, fill us with passion. Fill us with urgency. Fill us with faith. God, get these arrows out of our person, off of our body, out of our hands, and let them be sent into the heavenlies, Lord, to accomplish what it is that you're trying to do. Thank you for supernatural provision. Thank you for the prophetic word of the Lord. God, we believe you and we believe your word. Now, Lord, use us and accomplish great things through us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.